Hey everybody, welcome back to Lara Chat Live. I think we're on episode number 16 here. We've got Eric Van Johnson, one of our newer regulars, and Matt Lamp, one of the trusty old originals from when we started way back when in the old days. We also have Danny Bushkinet popping on, but he had some audio trouble. So once he pops back on, we'll introduce him. So today, what we wanted to talk about was uh, with regard to hiring. How do you find the heroes from the zeros? And we all, we all have some experience with hiring and being the hiree. And we wanted to kind of talk about some personal experiences with regard to how we, uh, some, some tips that we can pass on for both uh, sides of the table. Um, and with regard to latest Laravel PHP news, web development news, uh, Laravel 5.3.19 was released. You can read about it on laravel-news.com and also the Laravel website with their change log. Uh, welcome back, Danny. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we're good now. Yeah, okay, cool. All right, awesome. All right, we got our New York flavor tonight, Danny Bushkinet. So What's up, guys? I was just talking about uh, Laravel 5.3.19 uh, has been released, and check it out on Laravel News. Um, I saw a tweet by Taylor that looks like he started planning Laracon. So uh, Laracon has been in the Kentucky, Louisville area near his home, I think. I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but in that area uh, for the last couple of years. I know Eric had a plea he wanted to make. Eric. Yeah. So I, I'd, been, I'd been lobbying to Taylor for years about considering San Diego for a Laracon. And I was ecstatic when he DM'd me on Twitter about a month ago saying, hey, we're, look, we're trying to plan Laracon 2017. And we're taking San Diego in consideration. Do you know of any venues? I was trying to be all you know cool about it, like not tell any of my friends or anything that yeah, Taylor is talking about trying to do Laracon in San Diego. Then he announced it on the Laravel podcast. So I tweeted back to him. I'm like, all right, baby, full court press now. We're gonna I'm gonna go out there and really try to get people to to push for San Diego. But yeah, he is. He, I know San Diego is one of the places he's considering. Uh, San Francisco was another. But I mean, San Francisco, come on, that's so cliche. Every tech thing does San Francisco. San Diego, baby. It's, it's, it's the end of October. It's 90 degrees outside right now. 90 degrees. Yeah, forget about it. It's gotta, you got to come to San Diego, Taylor. Uh, I forget there was a third place. I, I don't remember if Kentucky was still, if he was still considering going to Kentucky or not. But it sounds like things are starting to click. He he sent a tweet later in the week saying that things are coming together for Laracon. I haven't heard anything else uh, mentioned about San Diego, so I don't know. Uh, the last thing he he spoke to me was cost was was you know a little bit of an issue, but that's going to be an issue any of the locations he was talking about. So so I don't know. Hey, I'm just saying, if you're interested in coming to San Diego in 2017, you need to throw a tweet out there to Taylor, to Laravel, and tell them San Diego. San Diego, Laracon 2017. Make it happen. We have yeah, maybe, maybe we'll start a hashtag through LaraChat and see if that can take off. Because I know there would be a, an easy travel for me, an easy sell to my company. We have an office down in you know Silicon Valley, San Francisco. So I could you know go down there and say, hey, look, I'll be. I, we can send some people down to our main office and go to the conference. I don't know. I think it, it, it could happen. Plus, you're right. There's a lot of technical companies down there, and uh, I can't see why not why why a lot of them wouldn't want to sponsor. I 
I mean, and I'm just assuming here. And also wanted to point out, you said 90 degrees. So for any of our Canadian oh. fans watching, that's what, 32 degrees Celsius? I, I, I'm sorry, I'm talking English here. I forget you guys have your little conversion you do. Yeah. Yeah. That's like you know, two daisies and a tulip. I, I forget how you guys convert. Well, in the true Canadian format, allow me to say I'm sorry. <laughs> but re real quick, to get back on uh, Laricon, I have to tip my hat to Taylor. Um, on the Laravel podcast, he did mention that one of the things he's taking in consideration when trying to plan the next Laricon was the uh, Laravel communities. Um, he recognized the fact that San Diego's Laravel user group had a membership of over 200 people. Uh, San Francisco, he said, also was over 200. Um, what he didn't uh, take in consideration is we also have a PHP group out here. We have LA, which is you know less than two hours up north. We have Orange County. But it was good to see that uh, Taylor was actually recognizing the impact of the community and kind of using that as one of the things he was factoring into where this uh, conference should go. That was That was nice to hear. You know, one thing I think I want to do, I think I'll follow up with you offline to see if we can actually make some kind of Laravel San Diego hashtag go live, but also make t-shirts to go with it. And then see if some companies would sponsor to give those away. Baller, baby. You're going like all out. I thought I was going full court. You're just like, yeah. But no, they have to be tank tops, right? I mean, it's San Diego, so. I don't wear tank tops for a reason. Uh, I am Canadian. I'm pretty white. I'm Irish. I'm probably just as white as your your head there. <laughs> so, one one uh, surprise is our uh, Alfred Newtil is, is a little bit late. He said he sent me a message saying, "Hey, can I come on? I'm a bit late." And he's like, "Yeah, sure, come on." We're running down to his office right now, probably putting on some hair and cleaning up his, or uh, putting on some clothes and cleaning up his hair. So. He should pop on in a few minutes and uh, join us. I think he has a lot of um, good advice when it comes to hiring. And I've actually talked to him for information in, in hiring in my company here. So uh, I, I'm really excited to have his feedback as well as you guys. You all have experience on both sides of the table. So let's get into our first topic, and Alfred can catch up, I'm sure, pretty easily. So. To go over what we have here on the panel, for me, I'm a senior lead developer at a company. I'm part of the recruiting team here. So if anybody in Vancouver is looking for a job, we are hiring. Get in touch with me on LaraChat. Um, we have Danny, who is, correct me if I'm wrong, you're a lead developer at LawNet. You do hiring as well, correct? Yeah, I'm a lead developer at uh, LawLine.com. And uh, I also um, we also do hiring. Um, I hired two of my last uh, team members and we'll we'll see if we're going to hire some more right now we're not currently hiring but um, who knows in the future we may hire so like a junior or mid-level which i think brings us into the topic of like who do you do you always have to hire senior developers or can you hire juniors and kind of can you organically grow people so i think there's a lot to definitely talk about and then we've got eric who is the cto for a company, and correct me if I'm wrong again, you guys work on a contract basis. Can you hire contractors only? Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct, yeah. Um, yeah, our entire workforce right now are all contractors. We're, we're contractors, and 
our our workload is all contract work right now. We don't have a a product we build ourselves yet, but we're we're working on a, a few things in the in the back rooms. And then last but not least, uh, we also have Matt Lance who quit the uh, rat race to start his own company. I'm not sure he's at the point of hiring yet. He's still a bit small, but um, he may one day. Let's all cross our fingers for him. Go, Matt. There. Okay, there we go. I'm unmuted. Um, yeah. So uh, the rat race. I, I'm still deep in that rat race. It it doesn't end. <laughs> it, it gets more intense when you when you go, you know, indie as it were. Um, but you know, we're we're always curious about different people to work with. And you know, in the last few years of my career, I've been with different companies and usually doing hiring or at least assisting with hiring and, and going through those processes. And I mean, there's, I don't even, I can't even count the amount of interviews I've done over the last like two years even, but it's, it's always a fascinating journey when you're getting to know new people and picking, you know, quote unquote heroes from zeros and whatnot. Then now uh, we also have Alfred who popped on a bit late. Um, Alfred, before you came on, we were talking about you doing your hair and getting dressed. It looked like you just threw a hat on. Well, thank you for keeping up appearances and keeping our show top-notch. We're so happy for that. So what we were just talking about between each person, um, like Danny, the lead developer, Eric, the CTO, Matt, the founder of a company, I'm a senior developer, and we all are on the hiring side of the table. We have been and are on the hiring side of the table. So for you, you are what? uh i suffer all of it uh we try to hire people you try to train them uh there's so many you know things we go through on on my end i'm part of a team uh so we're definitely doing a lot of hiring so uh, i've been out of the interview process for the past few months because we hired someone to help do that as well <laughs> so, um so that that's been good but it is a hard process it's it's really hard to uh to to, to weed these things out so so I think some of the things that we'll talk about is I'll, I'll ask some questions and I'll get your guys' feedback from your experiences over the years. And I, I think one of the, the first things I wanted to, I think this one actually is probably um, widely contested at different companies, different personalities and so forth. But when it comes to tech tests, do you guys do online tests, written tests? Do you give them pieces of paper with code and tell them to decipher it? Uh, do you ask them for code up front? How do you guys gauge the, uh, the talent of the, the technical talent? Um, shout it out for one to unmute wins. Yeah, tough call. Uh, we've been debating a lot about that internally uh, as we go through our hiring process. Um, it's You, you kind of hear pros and cons on both sides of the fence with it. Uh, I don't know. It's... Uh, anything past, uh, what's the, what's the really basic one that everybody does? Um, FizzBuzz? FizzBuzz, yeah. Anything past FizzBuzz and I don't, I don't know, you're kind of, you're kind of getting into a weird realm. It's like FizzBuzz is a good way of, of understanding if somebody has basic concepts and basic understanding, but it, it doesn't, doesn't do a lot of deep testing. It doesn't really 
give you an idea if they if they have uh, their heads around object oriented programming or frameworks, and it's really difficult to to do tests for that. And the and the, you also have I, I know I'm personally one of these guys. I don't test well at all. I I, I test terribly. Um, I don't know what it is. It's it's some mental block I have, but. I don't know. We we I'll be interested to hear what everybody else has to say because we've gone back and forth. We we've thought about you know we haven't done it and felt like we should have. We've done it and felt like it hasn't really been beneficial. So I'm kind of curious what everybody else says. So like the way I look at it is there's kind of like two real approaches in my opinion to if you're going to test and one is the I have a specific role I'm looking for. I want to know that they have current experience at this particular you know, whether it's a stack or a type of technology or it's just even something like a design practice that they just need to be able to seamlessly flow into, then like, yeah, you can give somebody a pointed test. But like me personally, what I normally do is the other route, which is I give a very simple test, very like low level, something like a fizz buzz in terms of where most developers, you know, they, they've seen something like this before. It's not like I'm trying to trick them. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get a gauge of their code style and personality because at the end of the day, I'm sure their code will work, but the idea is I want to see the culture behind the code. Are they painting it? Are they showing, um, like, how are they doing certain things? Like, Because there's a lot of, you know, debates in code and things like this, all these different kinds of things that, you know, may make sense for each person. But for me, what's important is if I'm hiring somebody, I want to make sure that they care about things that I care about or even show me things that, you know, I didn't necessarily care about, but I think, oh, yeah, actually, that is important or that is interesting or vice versa. If somebody shows just terrible like messiness or something like it's not really just the answer to the problem it's like what's the person behind the code and i guess i best gauge it by instead of having to personally interview every person it's a great way to weed out people by saying okay these 10 applications were terrible uh they all you know just horrible spacing and just like terrible indentation those are great signs that like i'm not even looking for this person whereas other people who show even if they may not get the answer fully right I like to see like good things, like good, well thought out things. They're trying to present themselves in the best light possible. I think uh, one of the things you uh, hit on there with, with culture, and that's one of the things that we try and do is find that culture fit. And that's even hard because like Eric mentioned, he does an interview well, but he's a strong coder. He might be the right cultural fit for your company, hypothetically speaking. But um, I find it hard to sometimes pick out that culture because some people do interview well. They're very charismatic. They can talk their way out of a, a phone book or whatever that thing is. Um, but again, going back on to the original topic, one of the things that we do is we, again, have that simple that simple quiz, a, a phone call in the beginning. We you know, ask them simple PHP questions like um, require uh, versus include. Do you know what that is? And uh, I find that a lot of people who really understand PHP understand that, but the people who understand the frameworks don't because they don't have to use that very much. Um, and then some other questions are like, you know, DB versus MySQL on the SQL side. Very basic questions, you know, the, the things that uh, you can kind of get a real sense of their technical understanding of the, the, the languages. And then when we do our in-person interviews, we have them written uh, or printed copies of code. And we say, can you find the problem here? Can you explain what this code is doing? And 
sometimes it's not really uh, your normal code. It, it's something that is a little bit different from what you would see on an online tutorial. And it may be good code, it may be bad code, but being able to explain and understand what's going on with the code is important because sometimes we have to look at legacy apps and uh, figure out what somebody at that time thought was a really great idea or somebody at that time was really rushed and they crammed something together. So being able to read that code really uh, gives us a good sense of where their technical skill sets lie. Um, I've also in the past done technical tests where I will sit at a computer. This is me being hired a few years ago with other companies. Uh, I would do a test on a computer and somebody would be watching me type like a screen share app of sorts. And I, I felt so much pressure and I, I, I'm typing there and my hands are shaking and I'm making typo and all I can think about is this guy is watching me and thinking, oh my God, this guy is an idiot. But I, 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 I find it hard to agree with the code, sh the screen sharing apps because of the, the nervousness and the, the place it puts the developers in it. I don't think it's terribly, it's a comfortable place for a lot of developers. Um, but I, I'm curious about that specific question with regard to screen sharing type of test. Is that, is it good or bad? What do you guys think? All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a couple things because we kind of skipped over the last part, but I'm, I'm going to jump around. So first off, the, the, the test that I've given out before, um, and this was all stemming from the test that I had to do uh, to work at BlackBerry. And it was a clever, clever test because it was more of a test of how can you handle something totally unexpected at that moment? And uh, so what I often have given to you know interviewees is a, <laughs> it's literally a page of HTML with some CSS and some JavaScript, really basic. And I tell them to draw it and they, you have to read it. You have to understand the, and this is really basic stuff. It's like literally a button in the center of a screen. And if they even start writing the text, which is actually a really funny story about Batman fighting the Joker, uh, and then it all turns out if you hit the button, it displays a different thing where it's like boom or something like that on, on screen. And it shows that you can understand the flow of what's happening between the actions, the results and everything else. But it's more of a, it, it's so like simple. It should just be second nature at this point, right? It, it shouldn't be anything that catches you and says, oh, this is so confusing. And if you, if you treat it that way, if you overreact to the whole thing, then it just goes wrong and you're going to draw it incorrectly. But if you can stay calm and collected, that shows me a lot about that person because I can say, oh, well, I can trust them, you know, when a database is crashing on a production server and, you know, everything is going bananas. I know that I can rely on them to keep their composure and solve the problem, right? And, uh, and then in terms of experience with um, being monitored, I don't know if I was actually being monitored during the interview, but there was one interview I went to where I was then put into a closed room by myself at a computer, full access to the internet. And I was told to write a whole app in like three hours with nothing but JavaScript. And I was like, <laughs> you know, I'm pretty confident in myself, but at first up Windows machine, and giant like clunky key keyboard like back to the 90s 
and I'm just like, okay, um, all right, Matt, you you can do this. And it was like an hour and a half into my three-hour time slot to write this thing. I was just like, I there's no way this is going to get finished. Like, there's no possible way. And they're just like, would you like a glass of water? And it's like, I want a de-stressing mechanism right now because this is insane. But, uh, and I don't think that's a good way to test anyone, period. Yeah, I don't think I'd want to work for them. <laughs> the... um. Yeah, I mean, the screen sharing is a good one. It's it's interesting. I think it depends on the personality type. I get intimidated or annoyed because, uh, you know, it can be hard to do screen sharing with people and work with them and, and just have your thoughts. Um, and I like the comment, too, about some people do interview well. Interviews are hard because some people do it really, really well. And I've had those people be not good hires. So it's so tricky there as well. Um one other thing is uh, noticing the small indentations and stuff. Yeah, it's a good one because that's the little bit of quality that you know the person is either A, not paying attention to, or B, they're drowning in, in the problem itself and they barely could do anything with that level of detail. So I think that's a good sign too of like where the person's at, even if they complete the task. Um, and, and, you know, one other thing is we hand out little projects to people, not JavaScript, build an app in a room by yourself on a Windows machine, but like, just something simple, make a little API that gives some information to make an Angular widget, show it, you know, nothing major. And then just review their code and ask some questions later. Maybe give them the day to do it and come back tomorrow. Uh, and lastly, well, two things. I kind of like the idea someone had before of like, hire them for two weeks to do something and pay them for their time. But they might not have time and, and that's hard. And at night, you don't always have the energy or the drive. Uh, so, but I think that would be a nice way to get to know the person. Um, but ironically, a lot of times it's just a gut feeling and it's hard to go with it. Um, but I've seen that to be right more often than not with myself. One thing there when you're talking about the spacing, you have to be careful when you talk about those kind of things because you might trigger a space versus tab floor. Yeah, and no, we were talking messy. I've seen like just just messy. Like they didn't even, they were in G-Edit or something, Notepad or something, you know? Yeah. They had no help. So I'm going to end this tab for the basis. We are not going to get in the debate. Otherwise, we will go over our show timeline. Let's get back on track. I'm sorry I ever brought it up. Spaces uh, for the win. <laughs> I, I think one of the important things to remember in the interview process, especially if you're the person giving the interview, and one of the things I, I always try to make sure that I'm conscious of is that the person interviewing for the job is under a lot of stress they're clearly considering making some changes in their life this is how they make a living this is how they get an income there is way more pressure on them than on you at that moment so by adding more pressure by giving all these wacky tests of you know can you code in the dark with a bunch of spiders on your back it just seems like it might be overboard but you're right. How do you how do you make that connection? What you know? Where where does your gut kick in? And this is, I hate I hate to get back up on my soapbox. I know I do it a lot. I've mentioned this in the past as well. This is where knowing your community really comes into play. And one of the fortunate things we've had with our company is that the people we've brought on board are people we have followed for years. Uh, I mean, we we've literally watched their career, watched the projects they've worked on. We we. We've talked about it in the past about how we treat it almost like recruiting, scouting for sports. And 
we kind of watch people and think, hey, have you seen Marcus? Have you seen the project he's working on? I saw some of his code. It looks pretty clean. We need to keep him in mind. And and we, we've had the benefit of doing that. We haven't had somebody just come off the street street that we didn't know anything about, had to go look on LinkedIn to see who they were, where they worked at. But I think it, community means a lot. And if you have a community around whatever platform you're looking to hire for, you're, you're, you're selling yourself short if you don't get involved with that community and see who's out there and who, who the all-stars are in your local area because it's, it's, it, they bubble up really quick. Yeah, I can actually attest to that, that one of the um, key selling points for myself for this current job was my involvement with Lara Chat. And um, when I was doing the interview, I told them, oh, yeah, I, uh, next week is a PHP meetup in Vancouver, and I'm doing a talk there. And, and they all looked, at, I remember they looked at each other, oh, man, yeah, we need some of these guys who are involved and, you know, can get uh, other people interested in the community. And uh, I think that's a really important uh, point where uh, we have a strong community in, in Larachat and we and there's a strong PHP community. Um, so there's, there's absolutely no reason why we shouldn't be involved in our local meetup. There's a, a meetup section on Larachat where people post up, you know, the San Diego meetup, um, Algeria, I think was one of them recently, and they all get posted there. Um, yeah, uh, uh, just a little side footnote. If there's a meetup in your community, get involved. And if there's not, start start it. Um, but beyond that, one of the other questions I wanted to ask with regards to on the um, interview side is putting stress on the person who is who you're on the candidate. Now, for for myself, one of the questions that that I ask people in the interview is I, I basically sit, I have my phone and I sit there and I say, okay. So let's say we are sending you to a meetup or a conference and you're going to talk about a specific topic that you care about and you know about, and um, we're going to put you on the spot right here and you have one minute to collect your thoughts and then I want you to teach us about your topic. And this can be absolutely anything, or technical rather, like it could be something that we already know, it could be something that we don't know, like we, we stress that it to approach it like you teach us something. And uh, and so I, I sit there with my phone and I, I have it and I say, okay, your minute starts and they can think about it and process it. And then I say, okay, go, and it's time. And they have to like react, they have to act. And um, the way I look at it, they, they kind of get put on the spot a little bit to be like, oh man, I know a lot about programming, but what's this one thing that I want to tell them that will impress them. And, and so we, we've had some people in the past where they just lock up and they're like, I, I can't do this. And, uh, and it's not that we are looking for people that um, can go and do these conferences for us, but I think it was uh, Alfred or Danny, I forget who mentioned it earlier about having that person that you can trust. And you know that when the database crashes, that person is gonna be there. They're, they're gonna be able to handle that stressful moment and be there in the trenches with you, doing whatever it takes and being able to communicate properly that the database server has gone down, this is how we need to fix it. This is what I know, what do you know kind of deal. And so we get some really interesting uh, information coming back. Some of it we don't know, some of it we do know, but I, I think it's a really good uh, stress test. What are some stress tests that you guys do if you may do any? Well, I think you brought up a good point is like 
first even before the dress test like the whole idea of like teaching like even for the minute also it talks about communication like like a big part of hiring to me is also like you want to be able to have a person who rely on who, who can communicate to you a problem that they noticed or communicate to a different team member or a stakeholder let's say you work for a company that's not just developers right you don't want to have to be the the only person who can talk to them you want to be able to have it hybrid developers talk to, you know, business people if they need to and should be able to communicate effectively. So I think there's definitely a lot of um, value in having something along those lines where, okay, teach me about something, even if it's something I already know, just show me that you have the attitude, you understand what you're talking about, and you can actually think your thoughts through and tell them in a like coherent manner because they can talk well and chances are, I mean, it's a good indication they can think out their code appropriately as well, you know? So as far as that stress tests, I mean, I've done the live coding. I've done that stuff. I'm not a big fan. Um, I, I try and stay away from the whole stress thing. I, I know interviews are stressful in general, like um, Alfred said before. Like it, it all depends. Like what I like to do is, if I give a code test, I give them a chance to refactor. So I'll say, okay, like here's the code test. They give it to me. I'm like, okay. The next day, I'm like, okay, here's the same code test. Here's all your code back. You had to refactor this because God knows there's always going to be improvement room for improvement especially in an interview where you're nervous so just take an extra day uh go through all your code fix it up and send it back to me and that way i get a good sense of okay they've relaxed they were understand the problem they, they have more time to do it um just like you said you're all nervous when you had that live coding thing like what what would you have given for a second shot at that knowing what you know after right like it's you would feel so much better and you could really present yourself in a much better light so i think it's a real fair opportunity I also like the, uh, the, I think Sean had mentioned it, that the idea of presenting them with bro broken code, you know, taking the stress off them, trying to conceptualize code and start from zero, just give them broken code and say, this code is broken. How would you go about fixing this? Or what do you see? Can you look at this and tell me you know, where, where things are going wrong? Uh, that sounds like a really good approach. I, I might consider using that. So how much are you going to pay me? I didn't say it. How much are you going to pay me to use that idea? Um, one question though is like uh, I've been I've worked with developers who aren't good at communicating, uh, or social people or front facing people. You wouldn't put them in front of the product owners, but they're great developers. They are great assets on the team. Uh, so I think you know sometimes depending on your needs, you got to consider some space for that. Uh, and they've been amazing people on the team. So if I judge them on their shyness, it would have been a loss for sure. I think that makes sense. I think at the end of the day, it definitely depends on your needs. Like, I guess I'm speaking from my perspective, which is a little bit of a smaller company. We like the all developers directly interface with uh, the business people. Like, yeah, if you have a very, if you have a larger team or where you have, let's say, a lots of teams, right, where it's like a, like a Condé Nast, where you have a team for this, a team for that, a team for this other product, then yeah, absolutely. If you can communicate to that developer effectively where they may not, you know, feel comfortable public speaking or whatever it is. And yeah, of course, there's room for those people. But um, again, like you said, it all depends on what exactly you're looking for. One other thing is like, um, I guess, like you just said, depending on the size and the needs is like I listened to this podcast one time. and It was an interview with a guy from Netflix, one of the developers there. And he just noted that they don't hire junior developers. They're all seniors. 
Uh, and I thought that was an interesting like mindset, like, okay, well, why, you know, should we hire juniors? We only aim for seniors. Um, does anyone have any experience there, how, how they thought that through and if, if they're doing one or the other? Yeah, uh, I had a, a note here to ask about juniors versus intermediate and seniors. And I, what, in the past, what we've looked for is, you know, that cultural fit, that technical fit. And I've actually hired some juniors that have turned out to be better than, over the course of time, to be better than the seniors. And um, now they're seniors and intermediate, and I would hire them any day of the week. So one of the, the risks when you, I'm finding when you hire a senior is that, that personality, is that person going to be able to come in and integrate as part of your team? Or are they going to be so strict with what they've done in the past com and company they've worked on, how they do their process, that they're so strict that they can't get out of their box and they can't mesh with your box, let's say, or they can't, they can't work with what, what you guys have already set up as a process. And, and I think that's really risky when you have seniors. But I guess when you have a larger company like like uh, Netflix or Electronic Arts or, you know, those bigger companies, they've already got the processes in place. So, it yeah, I'm, I'm actually not sure how well they integrate with it. But my biggest fear with seniors has to be with fitting into our culture box and our technical box and, you know, everything else around it. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, like, I, I agree with Sean with everything he said as far as I've seen juniors do far better than certain seniors and obviously vice versa. But to me, like, it all comes down to the single idea of the propensity to learn, right? At the end of the day, a developer's job is to learn. You're not going to have all the answers. You got to be able to sit there, assess what you, like, when you have a bug, you don't know what the problem is. You have to sit there and you have to learn what the problem is, right? If you're using a new technology, technology constantly changing with, JavaScript frameworks, like switching hands every three days, like there's so many things to constantly learn. And certain senior developers are very good at, you know, keeping up and, and learning, but other ones, you know, get very comfortable in what they're used to and want to stick to the, the few things that they learned when they were eager to learn. Whereas juniors, some are eager to learn, some are just, some are just juniors and just phase out, you know, so it all depends. I definitely wouldn't limit out one, there's pros and cons to it, you know, you can home grow somebody and teach them good habits from the beginning versus somebody could have bad habits through a senior. Like, like there's a lot of benefits to both, you know, I, I, it feels like if I'm growing a team, then I would start by hiring a few senior people to, you know, help architect the vision. And then once I have, let's say like a decent, smaller, decent sized team, I can maybe hire a junior or two to, you know, help, um, you know, spread some of the love and then, you know, in turn, teach them, grow them because we were all juniors at one point. If, if nobody ever hires a junior developer, then the whole profession dies. I, I, yeah, I think you nailed it. And I mean, I mean, there's there's some different aspects to, to consider as well. If if you're a company, you're an established company that you have your own product, you're you're out of your mind for not bringing junior developers. I mean, you know, the a junior developer to some people is just, I mean, one one person's junior, junior developer could be a a more advanced developer in another shop who knows but uh if you own a company to, to bring somebody in and, and mature them organically within your culture your your code base that's the way to do it um now on the flip side of that again our, our company 
all contractors, all of our work is contract work. Companies that hire through us or hire us, they don't particularly want to pay people to learn. Like they're looking for people to come in with solutions. It, it really takes a special type of developer to, to be able to walk into these situations and just kick out solutions. So we've we've debated and sort of sort of have tried to, to hire some junior developers, but it's a rough uh, environment. The, the consulting field that is, and it's not really conducive to learning and growing. That's that's where I really think established companies come into play. So, yeah, again, if you have a company you're hiring, look, that's where the talent is. The talent are the young people who are coming up. Look, look for them. Look who's participating in, in the community, and and bring them on board and start to start to get them into your culture. Yeah, I mean, like, go ahead, go ahead, Matt. Uh, I was gonna say, my, like, my business partner and I have chat, like, we've talked about this numerous times over the past, like, several months about, you know, do you hire junior devs and, and bring them up to where, you know, we want to bring them up, or do you hire on senior devs and stuff like that? And a lot of times, I mean, in my own personal experience, I mean, like, I've flip flopped companies so many times just because, you know, as a developer who wants to continuously grow the minute I feel restrictions, I'm less inclined to just, you know, just chill and go with slow flow. I want to jump on new things and, and grow faster. Um, and so there's a fear in the sense of if you bring on senior devs, how long you're actually going to keep them on board, right? I mean, like if they're skilled and they and they're and they've got a good amount of experience and they want to keep growing, but your business can only give them so much new stuff, you know, per month or day or year. There's a, you're building that risk of losing them. Right. And when you're investing so much money in them as a, as a cost, I mean, that's hard to try to balance out. Whereas like your junior devs, you, you have a higher probability they're going to stay with you for maybe a year to like maybe two years but then even them, I mean, if they're really skillful and they want to keep growing and move forward, you run that risk again, right? So I feel like there's a lot more balance into maintaining those investments, as it were, rather than, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm all for hiring junior devs. I'm all for hiring senior devs. My biggest concern is passion. I mean, like if I look on their GitHub and I see they've never committed one thing on anything ever, then I'm like, okay, well, why? I mean, like if, it, if they're new to Git, well, that's weird, but whatever. And, uh, you know, but I want to see something. I want to see that they've done six projects outside of day-to-day -day work because they're just, they're so in love with what they do that they can't stop themselves from continuing forward, right? That's the sort of stuff I like to look for. It's an interesting thought you said about the Git there. Like, I'd have to look at my profile. I, I don't think my GitHub profile is very filled out. I have a bunch of private projects that I'm a part of, um, but I have my private repos over on GitLab. And this is not an advert paid advertisement, but um, I mean, it's free at GitLab, so I'm over there. So, um, I've done a couple open source projects, but it's been very minimal. Uh, but what I wanted to do with that, oh, go ahead. It's a good point, by the way, with GitHub. I, I like the idea, but you're right. A lot of people, it's private stuff. So, 
And Matt, you had a point? Oh, I was just going to say, it's not necessarily, you know, specifically a GitHub thing. I mean, any any sort of projects that they've been doing outside of stuff or any, any I mean, like on their resume alone, it should state that they've, in all likeliness, they've done several personal projects or whatever, or, you know, they're involved with this community or that community, or, you know, they were uh, just anything. It's seeing that that drive to do more than what they're obligated to do to fulfill their paycheck duties. That, that's kind of what I'm indicating. That makes perfect sense now. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to talk about was there was a junior in my past uh, experience, um, a junior fellow, I think, I, I can't even remember if he had a job, but uh, I remember sitting at my desk, working at my computer and look over, there's a knock on the door. We had glass doors um, and there's this, this you know, young, fellow straight out of college there with paper in his hand. I'm like, um, hi, uh, who are you? What can we do for you? He's like, uh, you know, he was a little nervous. Like, uh, yeah, I I um, <clears throat> saw you guys online and I, I like what you're doing. I just wanted to, you know, <clears throat> walk, walk by and drop off my resume and uh, say hi to you guys and introduce myself. And, and like, we were so impressed by that. that. Like, we knew he was a junior. We knew that he... <clears throat> didn't have a lot of experience, but we were just so impressed by that that drive to to seek us out that we we ended up hiring him. Of course, we vetted him properly, and it all worked out. But we were so impressed, and like that was one thing that sticks out in my mind. That if I was a junior again, I would, you know, and it takes a lot of guts to you know walk into a company and say, "Hey, here's my resume. You don't know me, but I know you." Um, but that really impressed me. So I think. Um, I'm curious if, if you guys, if somebody walked into your office or, you know, cold called or even cold emailed that, hey, I, I've looked you guys up, you, I've seen you, you know, Eric, I've seen you at the San Diego conference, like, or, or meetup, and like, would you hire them? Would you want to hire them more than if you just received their email or resume uh, in normal circumstances? Well, I think you know my answer is, is going to be, yeah. Especially if I see you at Laracon San Diego 2017. Let's do this! No. But yeah, community is huge. Um, it, it, it definitely gets you on my radar when, when looking for talent. There's no question. Now, just so you know, we've already started. I've, I've already started the hashtag on our Larachat Slack Twitter account. Uh, hopefully, it's the right hashtag and it takes off, but... It's there for now. You have been retweeted several times, my friend. <clears throat> yes, so, get, we'll get two retweets. <laughs> so I had a question uh, for, for everyone. We This is another topic that, that we've discussed internally. And now that Laravel has, uh, has, has a certification program that they're starting to structure, there are other certification programs out there. Symphony has one. Zen has one. Just curious what everybody's thought is on people that do these certification programs. Do you do you put any more weight behind their resume, or is it just a way of them telling you, yeah, I'm good at taking tests, so let's move on? For me, uh, the big thing about doing a certification is that um, – they've taken the time to invest in themselves on a, on a learning process. 
whether or not I care specifically about which certification or what level of that certification, the note, like learning that they want to go and seek out further information and, and grow their own skill levels, that's really cool to me. I mean, like I've met devs who, who have all sorts of Zen certifications and stuff, and then I've seen their code and I'm like, what on earth? And I mean, so I mean, like there's no guarantee that a certification means they're going to be a, a skilled developer. It just means that, you know, they can take tests. But there is, I think there's a lot of, um, uh, I think there is weight to be given when you think about it in the sense that they've invested extra time and energy into their own career and their own future. So I kind of both agree and disagree with you, Matt. And like, I, I love what you said about how, like, you know, um, the idea is I don't really care which cert they have. And like, I, I do understand there is, you know, merit to doing certificate uh, certifications, but like, I've also seen tons of these, like, you know, developers will have these Zen certifications and their code is definitely crappy and it's not, you know, a knock on Zen or, or whatever it is. It's more just, there's people who get these certifications to make themselves look better and they hop job to job, six months, one year, because they get found out, you know what I mean? Like they, they work, they have these certifications, resume looks great. I think, I think Eric alluded to before, there's people who are you know, good at interviewing and they, you know, have all these, you know, stripes in their chest, quote unquote. And uh, once they get there, you realize they don't really know it. So to me, the certifications, although like in, in theory, like it sounds good, they're doing it, but it could just be a business person who just wants to have a shot of being a developer and they, you know, do these certifications, whether it's an AWS cert or, you know, a Laravel cert, they have these things say, hey, you know, I know these things, let me get a job as a, you know, like hybrid, you know, dev business operations person or something, you know? So that brings up my next thought process, which was um, what actually spooks me the most is when I see that they've got like a dozen certifications. See, if you've got one or two, okay, cool. You wanted to learn a bit more about one thing or specialize to a degree. But when you've got like 12, let's say as a random number, uh, certifications in a variety of different things, that's like a massive red flag to me. It's like, okay, so you can't even make up your mind on what you're doing. You're really just trying to pump your resume full of some credentials. And at the same time, like, I'm also not a big person on, you know, what school you went to and stuff like that. Like I didn't, I didn't go to school for, I went to one month of college and then one semester of university and I had nothing to do with computer science. And so, I mean, and I've met tons of devs who can who can sweep the floor of guys who went to school for everything under the sun, but then I've also met you know flip side. So yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, that um, brings up an interesting thought. Uh, my next question: um, <clears throat> specialist or generalist? What would you hire? Me specifically? Anybody? <laughs> I I would go with. Um, it all depends on the on the situation in the end i mean like you can't really get around that i mean in a obviously in a general sense go for a generalist but then again maybe the, you as a small company you want to start gearing yourself in one direction or perhaps you want to bring in a specialist to teach your more generalist group so i mean it kind of depends i think on the grander direction of things at that time i don't know if it can be summarized on the fly like that any yeah. Other yeah, I think it's size of the team. I mean, like if you're one person growing a team, like you're getting one or two more developers and like 
chances are you need a generalist because like like even with servers redundancy is key right like you want to be able to take a vacation and have somebody else help out you don't want just having one other person a special set who says hey i don't know anybody about any of that stuff i can't do any of that i can only do this thing and i can make it you know hum like a bird but with me so like if you have a larger team where you have a say you know, five six seven developers you can start to then hire you know a specialist okay you know i'm excellent at you know I might spent, you know, two years doing video, like all about optimizing, you know, video streaming online. You have a video product, you know, then, then it makes sense, you know, to hire specialists who can really improve your stuff because you already have redundancy cover and you have now room to improve and you can start breaking people up into teams. And it, and it makes sense. If you have just one big team then or one just like one team of people working on one thing, then, yeah, generalist helps. If you have the uh, ability to break up into little teams and it's nice to break up until you have you know you have an ios team you have an android team you have a um you know web team or whatever it is however you decide to break up your company but the idea is you have developers it's it's nice to have journalists in the beginning and then break out into specialists yeah i would probably echo a lot of what danny just said team size is key and so much of our Technology is blending with JavaScript, front end, back end frameworks. Yeah. And then you move over to DevOps and full stack of web servers, database servers. If if you have people that can specialize in in those particular fields and your team is big enough and you can afford it, fantastic because it just makes those uh, areas stronger. But again, if you have smaller teams, yeah, you, you kind of have to go the generalist route. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm losing my voice. One of the other uh, questions I wanted to uh, put out there with regard to, let's say, generally speaking, lying on resumes. And I know, I remember back in the high school and the college days, there, and maybe they were really bad counselors, but, you know, telling me to fluff up my resume, make it look like I'm bigger than I am, better than I am. And I think that's a horrible idea because you're going to get called out pretty quickly. And, and we have called out some people in interviews in the past. And it's really disheartening when you look at the resume. The person looks great. You bring them in and you say, so tell me about such and such. And yeah, I didn't really do much of that. So how, how do you guys feel about when someone kind of fluffs up their resume like that? My my biggest fear about people who who don't necessarily fluff up their resume but fluff up their skills in an interview process is um well let's let's use a this is a, an example for you right okay I said that I was fascinated by uh, big data and the systems involved in big data and how you can you know do analysis on it and things like that and I had tinkered with a few of the packages out there and played with some of the Python code and I've got a few books on you know, machine learning stuff. And I, that was what I expressed in an interview once. And I never said that I had written anything vast and complex with it. I just said I was interested in it. I wanted to do more with it. That turned into me being the big data guy in a company. And they're like, oh my God, we have to do all this stuff with big data. And you know what, just get mad. He knows how to do it all. And then I'm like, ah, uh, um okay i well i uh i'll figure it out maybe i don't know let's try and so you know you got to kind of play that really carefully in what you say you are really into and what they think that means um 
there can be some real communication issues there. But no, I'm also in a general sense, there is no point in fluffing a resume. If you know it, you know it. If you don't, be honest and say you want to learn it. Because I'm more interested in you wanting to learn than saying you know something you don't. Let me add to that in an interview that I, I took, um, uh, I think a couple of years ago now, and I, I know better, I knew better in the interview, and somebody asked me a question, I'm like, I think it does this and this, and then blah, 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 blah. And I would, I would you know, I was pulling it out of my head. I, I didn't know the answer, and I was saying, I think this is what it does. I ended up making myself look way worse than I would have been if I just said, I don't know, I'm interested in it. So, you know, for anybody who is in an interview and they're, they don't know something, just say you don't know. Like Matt said, I don't know, I want to know. Uh, don't try and pull it out of your head if you don't know. You'll get, you'll get exposed so fast. Yeah, I agree. And not to date myself, but... Uh, when I was graduating high school and, and going through college, doing your resume and, and fluffing it up a little bit, yeah, it was such a common practice. But nowadays, that's I, I can't tell you the last resume I've looked at. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can give me your resume. I'm I'm checking you out on LinkedIn. I'm checking you out on Twitter. I'm checking you out on Facebook. So yeah, yeah it's back, a little, back yeah. in high school, you were typing it out on paper and <laughs> mailing. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, and you'd have to go down there to the copy machine and make multiple copies of it. Eh, I don't know. See, I was I was ahead of my time. I actually put a little <laughs> emblem on mine before I took the copy, so it all looked like it was done on a computer. <laughs> yeah. But I kind of agree with what Eric said. It's almost like, especially not in development, it's almost common practice to just have a fluffed up fancy words, optimizing and enhancing and synergizing and all those like buzzwords people love to throw in their resume. Like I didn't go to school for, um, I didn't go to college for uh, computers or development or anything like that. I went to school for economics. I wanted to be a finance guy in the beginning, right? So for me, like that was the ticket, right? You don't have that much experience. No finance guy's gonna hire you unless you have all these you know, fancy buzzwords trying to make yourself seem way more understanding. Development's a lot more of a meritocracy. It's it's a lot more where the resume it means a little bit less, and it really means. Show me some things you've done. Show me your portfolio. Like really, to me, the portfolio means a lot more than the resume. Um, like like Matt said earlier, the GitHub's a great uh, great way to look. I, I do understand you know, a lot of stuff is private, so if you don't have it, if you don't have it. But it's very helpful to see something code samples. Just show me you're interested. It's all about the passion, not about the resume. So we're getting close to the end of our show. Um, so one of the things I want to do, uh, open it up to our questions. We've got a couple of questions here. Um, so this is more on the other side of the table where someone in our, or Eduardo in our uh, LaraChat Slack app, how would you know if the employer is good for you? Again, research. Um, I can't, can't stress that enough. You know, you're, you're making a pretty big commitment and you're literally changing your life to work for a company. So it, it behooves you to do some research. There's, there are sites out there now. I think one, one of them is called Glassdoor or something where people can go in and review companies, review what it was like to work there. Uh, you, you've got to do that now. I mean, the resources are so readily available to you. You just, you just do your research. 
And, and don't lie to yourself. If you don't like it, you're not going to like it. You're not going to grow to like it. You're going to grow to hate it more. And then they're going to kick you out and hate you. It just never, never works. Then. That's perfect, Alfred. I mean, don't go to work somewhere because you want to work for company X because they have this name. You know, you got to make sure it's a fit for you for sure. Totally. I, think one, I think one of the things that's really important is go with your gut as well. Um, I've been in some interviews uh, before and, and there's just something that didn't sit right. And uh, a couple of times I, I listened to my gut and, and there have been times I haven't and I went to work for the company and, you know, after the first week, I was like, no, this is not for me. This is, this is not where I want to be. This is not what they told me on i my gut knew but my uh my brain wanted the money uh, but yeah listen to your gut it'll i think it sometimes tells you more than the brain does i need to make an app for that <laughs> my gut's telling me this my brain's telling me that i i have never had in my experience i've never had that initial gut reaction of this is not a good fit i've always thought this could be cool there's a lot of interesting things going on, but I think within a within a good you know, this is the way I try and think about it, right? Like, uh, you know, you know, we have the probationary process with most companies, right? You have three months, and then the company's going to decide whether or not they keep you on full time, blah blah blah. I think that's just as much your time to test the company as it is the company's time to test you. I think within that three months, you, you'll have a good perspective on a company and whether or not, you know, long term, it's going to fit your style and what you want to do, you know, moving forward. And I've worked with a lot of companies that were in transition of different things. And sometimes it's really hard to gauge a company when they're in a big transitional uh, phase and they're, and they're trying to grow more, but then you know, things aren't necessarily working in their favor to do that and stuff. So it is kind of, it is tough, but I mean, I don't know. I, I just think the biggest thing is that that three months, that, that is a two-way street, you know, that's not, should never live in fear of like, oh, am I meeting their standards? Are they meeting your standards is a equally valid question. Totally agree, man. I think, uh, I think you hit nail on the head. Um, really is even the interview is you're interviewing them right and like if fads give a tip it's take a tour if they if they'll give you a tour of the office look around developers are they happy are they sad right how's the lighting in the office is it like a dark dungeon or is it like a nice office because a lot of stuff matters and like if you see people are generally happy if it doesn't seem like people are overworked and those are all good signs if you see it's like a you know like a sweatshop and those are, those are good reasons to maybe not take the job so let's go to the second and last question so we can wrap up for the night. Um, how do you deal with people that you don't want working for you any longer? Band-aid. In my opinion, it's like a band-aid. Um, I think you give them opportunities to, you know, like you, you communicate in the beginning. You first say, okay, you know, things, because it's not going to be all of a sudden somebody's not working out, right? It's going to be. A few things, you know, start to show some red flags, some disagreements or whatever, and then just slowly but surely a person just isn't working out, right? If it gets to that point, if you communicated with them, you try to level with them, you try to give them multiple opportunities to, you know, make it fit better. And if it just doesn't, um, to me, 
it, it sounds way more terrible than it is, but like Band-Aid, you just have to say, you know what, like, this isn't working out and it doesn't serve either of us to continue this relationship, you know? So you, you, you mean Band-Aid in, in the sense of just ripping it off? Yes, exactly what I mean, like ripping off the Band-Aid. Like you, you don't do it piece by piece, you just tear the whole thing off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a tough, it's a tough one. Tough one for me uh, to this day because like you said, when, when somebody isn't working out, then, then something about that process failed. Um, whether it's communication, whether it's expectation, something failed. And I'm sure I'm sure it, it's it's failed on both parts. So identifying that would be as helpful to you as a company so that you can prevent it from happening again. But yeah, rolling people off, I mean it's it's different in every situation. If they're an employee, depending on the state they're on, there's there's certain rules you have to follow. Again, being a contractor, working in the contracting field, it's pretty simple. You just let them know that we don't have any more work for you at this time. So, so it, it does make you wonder what could you have done better? And that's the only thing that bugs me. Uh, not the only thing, but that's one of the bigger things is like, how can I do it better next time? What did I miss? Yeah, I think a retrospective, uh, not just in, you know, if you had to let someone go, but it's also important to have a retrospective, I think, on the hiring process, too, when it comes to what did we do well and asking these people these questions. What, what could we have found out more about? Sometimes I, I've come out of in some interviews thinking, man, I wish I, I could have found a question to cover X, Y, Z, and, and I, I wish I did. And but it's good to have that retrospective, I guess, all over the place. Um, so we're five minutes over our time, and uh, uh, I set the time to be a little bit longer. Last, like last show, we ended up getting booted off, I think, in the middle of talking. So technical difficulties there. Um, it was uh, a little unfortunate. So today, we are going to end somewhat on a good note. Um, and thank you, Alfred, Danny, Eric, and Matt. And I guess thank you, myself. I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> um, but we've had another good show, and uh, we will do another Lair Chat Live in two weeks. We'll come up with some topics and hope to see you guys there. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks. Great talking to you all. Yeah, great. Thank you. Great stuff.